The Holy Gospel according to St. John from the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our reading is from John chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 and can be found on page 1680 of your Pew Bible. And I'm actually going to be reading a little different version. It's the English Standard Version. So you may follow along and find that it's a little different, but the meaning is the same. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Today's gospel scene places us up in the upper room on the evening before Jesus died for us on the cross. Judas has left the gathering, and he is on his way to the authorities in order to get a band of soldiers that, will, that he will lead to Gethsemane in order to betray Jesus. He is almost ready to go to Gethsemane where he will be arrested. Jesus, <clears throat> knowing that his disciples are about to experience three of the most scary and most lonely days of their lives. Our brother, our Savior Jesus, has one last thing to do before they leave for Gethsemane. He prayed. He prayed to the Father on their behalf, 
and he allowed the disciples to, to listen in. And we call this prayer Jesus's, Jesus, apostrophe. It's his high priestly prayer. And it is the gospel for this day that is part of that prayer. This prayer teaches us much about Jesus' attitude towards us. It also reveals the nature of the Father as we hear the Son beseech him to have mercy on us. This is the evening before he is to die on the cross, and Jesus knew it. He could certainly have asked for himself in this prayer. We would have understood it. We would have totally focused on our own upcoming suffering and death, but he did not. Instead, he prayed for those who will feel so alone and so frightened during the coming days. And during the coming days, these are the days of his gauntlet of sorrow, his suffering and death. These are the days that are coming of his weight in the tomb. And he prayed for those who will hide behind locked doors until they see him face to face after his resurrection. This prayer is for us as well. And though we know that Jesus has never left us, he has taken his visible presence from us. He has ascended into heaven, and although he is with us, we cannot see him. He has not yet come to take us into our eternal home. So we find ourselves in a time of waiting for Jesus to reveal himself. We are in the time of now, but not yet. He is with us now, but we cannot yet see him with our physical eyes. He has given us heaven now, but we cannot yet experience it as we will in eternity. You see, all of Christ's gifts, all of them, already belong to us now. But we cannot yet experience them to the fullest. So we live in the time of now, but not yet. Jesus' prayer is for all of those who wait in the world now, but not yet. And while we live in the tension of now, but not yet, of the Christian life, we also live in the tension of being in the world, but not of the world. We are like resident aliens, people who reside in one country but are citizens of another. One of our problems that we have is that 
even though we are aliens in this world, we expect to get along with it. We expect to prosper in a world that is not our home. Some will even tell you that when you become a part of God's family, everything will start turning up roses. You will become wealthy and more attractive. Your relationship with your spouse will blossom and your children will rise up and call you blessed. More than that, others will say your health will improve and you will have more energy. Now this deception will tell you that God wants nothing but material and social prosperity for you. This deception tells you that the worldly success indicates a superior standing with God. Jesus has a different teaching. In his prayer, he prayed, the world has hated them because they are not of the world. That does not sound at all like the prosperity we hear so much about from this world. And it is because we are resident aliens in this world, the truth is the world is out to get us. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, let me tell you. The devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, our own flesh, constantly confront, constantly attack us. And sometimes the attack is a, uh, is a direct one. Martyrs, well, they died in Roman arenas and German gas chambers. And in modern times, governments have actually used aircraft to bomb and destroy Christian communities in their own countries. Other times, the temptation is more subtle. The evil forces of this world use enticements and pleasures to draw us away from God. There is the deception that makes a, scene, a sin seem so harmless, so good, so desirable at the time. And while we consider the, tempt the temptation, everything looks good. Everything looks pleasant. And this has been a weapon of the evil one from the very beginning in Eden when he said, in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Temptation always seems like a good time and a good idea. It really wouldn't be tempting if it didn't. And this world is a world of sin. 
whether we are citizens of this world or citizens of heaven, we will sin while we live in this world. Even we who are bound for heaven must mourn with Paul when Paul wrote in Romans seven nineteen, I do not do the good I want to do. He writes, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. We are saints in God's eyes for Jesus' sake, but we continue to sin. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. The people of this world operate on a spectrum of beliefs when they deal with sin. At, at one end of the spectrum are those who have deceived themselves into believing that they do not sin. Seems like we say that every Sunday. This typically involves a dilution of God's justice. They either tone down God's law to the point that they can keep it, or they get rid of God's law altogether. And the Pharisees are examples of this. In spite of the fact that they studied the Scriptures constantly, they should have known better. They interpreted the law in a way that made it doable. They saw the law as something that you could actually keep. They made keeping the law into an external activity designed to impress men so that they would become objects of praise for their own good works. In fact, they were in denial about their true status in the eyes of God. And at the other end of the spectrum are people like Judas. Judas is an example of despair. Judas did not deny his sin at all. In fact, he understood it, that he deserved punishment. And in his case, the evil forces of the world convinced Judas that his sin was more powerful than God's forgiveness. Instead of repenting and asking for forgiveness, he hung himself. Evil used the great sin of despair to push Judas over the edge and into the abyss of eternal punishment. Now, the people of this world stand all along the spectrum. Some are quite proud of their righteousness. Others don't really care. Still, others destroy themselves out of despair. And eventually, they all stand before God and realize their mistake, their mistake but it will be too late. Now, when the Holy Spirit works faith in us so that we place our trust in Jesus Christ, a new way, a new way opens for us. Our citizenship is no longer in this world. Instead, it is in heaven. And we live in this world as aliens. And when the forces of evil overwhelm us and we sin, and we will, and we have, and we do, 
We have an ambassador with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And the Holy Spirit has given us the sight, the eyes, to see our sins and mourn our inability to keep God's law. He has made known the reality of the punishment that our sins deserve. However, instead of driving us into despair, our sin drives us drives us to Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified for our sins. The depth of our sin shows us the height of his love. The love that sacrificed itself on a cross in order to free us from the guilt of our sin. The love that revoked our citizenship in this world and made us citizens in heaven. And by the Holy Spirit's power, we do not deny our sins, but we readily confess them before God. By the Holy Spirit's power, we find ourselves offering God the highest praise as we beg. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus prays for us. In his high priestly prayer, he prayed that the Holy Father will keep us in his name. And in this way, we will have, by grace, the unity that the Father and the Son have by nature. And as we look at the words that Jesus used, Holy Father and name, we see that Jesus' prayer is a variation on the beginning of the prayer that he taught us that begins with our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And as we listen to Jesus' prayer, we learn that the closer we are to the Father, the closer that we are to each other. When the Father keeps us in his name, then we are at one in him. Now, how did Jesus keep us in the Father's name? His prayer tells us that as well. He tells us that he prayed to the Father, I have given them your word. And he kept them in the Father's name by teaching them the Father's word. He still works that way today, Jesus does. And Martin Luther said this, that, that God's name is holy among ourselves. God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we, as the children of God, lead godly lives according to it. And then he prays, help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. And he prays, protect us from this, Heavenly Father. It is God's word in the divine service. It is God's word in Bible study and in the family and in private devotions 
that keeps us in the Father's name. The Holy Spirit uses God's word to revoke our citizenship in this world and to establish and maintain our citizenship in heaven. Jesus, our great high priest, loves us so very much. And when any normal person would be concerned for their own upcoming suffering and death, Jesus was praying for us. He was praying that we would remain in the Holy Father's name by the power of his word. He was about to go to the cross in order to make it so that we would be in this world, but not of it. And he prayed to his Father to keep us that way. In the name of Jesus, amen.